So today, inshallah, we're continuing with the ayat. Uh, Allah says, So we talked about this ayah before. After Allah Ta'ala mentions, uh, These different ayat that are describing what? It seems that the classical tafsir is that it's referring to these various stars. And these stars, they either shoot, they flicker, or they obviously go away during the daytime. And Allah Ta'ala is making reference to all this. And then comparing that, by the dawn, when it breathes in. And then by all of these oaths, Allah Ta'ala is swearing what? Indeed, it, and this is a reference to the Qur'an, is without a doubt a word or a statement of a Rasulin Kareem, of a noble messenger. So, this begs the question, what's the correlation between all those oaths, al-muqsam uh, bihi, and then al-muqsam alayhi, the thing that you're swearing upon, or the, 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 the statement that you're making. What does it have to do together? Well, we talked about it a little bit, but the idea here is what? When the day comes and brings guidance, you don't need to stumble around in the dark anymore, making wild guesses about shooting stars or desperate to find meaning. Similarly, when the Qur'an comes, you don't need to jumble, you don't need jumble ramblings about shirk either. You don't need to make guesses about all these various, you know, oh, deities this and deities that. This is all, uh, you know, stumbling in the dark. You can finally breathe easy. When the, when the dawn comes, you can tanafas. It, it, you can relax and take that comfortable breath. And the same thing with the idea that Allah Ta'ala mentions that that with the remembrance of Allah do the hearts find rest. Same, same concept that the Qur'an lets you breathe easy and gives your heart tranquility. You don't need to be stumbling around in the dark making all sorts of guesses. Uh, despite all this mystery, the Arabs would still attribute meaning to the stars in astrology. Meanwhile, the Qur'an has none of these issues, has none of these problems. The language is clear Arabic. It isn't vanishing. It doesn't go away. You can memorize it. You can write it down. You can look at the, your, 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 your papers. You can study it. You can read it, memorize it, contemplate it, and apply it in your life. And you've known the Prophet ﷺ your whole life. There's no mystery here. It's not like he came from some, I don't know, random unknown place, and then he shows up. No, you've lived with this messenger, Sallallahu his whole life, and then uh, he received this message. So none of this is unclear. It is as clear as day, as they say. Furthermore, if you, uh, if you, the Arabs attribute meaning to the stars just because they're above you, then you need to know that Jibreel, salam, is delivering from an even higher source, which is going to be mentioned in the next two ayat, inshallah ta'ala. So these are some of the points that are being ma- ma- made. Again, the fact is that the Arabs, they practiced astrology, so they took their guidance from the stars, and these stars are the creation of Allah, so only Allah Ta'ala has the right to swear an oath by the stars. We know that Allah Ta'ala is the only one who swears oaths by the creation, whereas we only swear an oath by the creator. We say, you know, wallahi, tallahi, billahi, etc. We swear by Allah different ways, but, uh, and so this is an important point. And in Allah's oaths, he mentions that these aren't, these lights aren't the best sources of information because they retreat or the best sources of light they're very weak they retreat they disappear as mentioned in ayat 15 and 16 then Allah mentions how the time of partial guidance or flickering light is going to be over when the day breaks hence the uh, concept of ayat 17 and 18 and so the conclusion is what ayat number 19 the complete guidance of the Quran is overpowering and superior to the false beliefs as the daylight is superior over the flickering dim lights and Another way of looking at this is that these partial lights could be the guidance that we get from whatever sources we have around us before the Qur'an. So before the Qur'an, what do they have? They had their fitrah, which obviously is good. It, it puts you in the right direction, but it doesn't get you the whole way. It doesn't teach you how Allah Ta'ala wants to be worshipped. It doesn't give you the best system of life as the Qur'an, as revelation does. So the fitrah is good, but it's like a, a weak light, kind of like the stars at night. It gives you some guidance, but not much. Also, past scriptures. 
past scriptures are another way of, uh, you know, what, whatever trickled down through these sources. But again, we don't know who the sources were, who brought us the, uh, um, uh, you know, the gospel and the, and the Torah and so forth. We definitely would say that so much of it is similar to what was originally uh, revealed, but since we don't have a solid trans- chain of transmission, and since we know there are contradictions, and since we know there is corruption within it, therefore we can't trust all of it. So it's like this dim, flickering light. And this is a really interesting hypothesis because some scholars will say, Khunnas and Jawar and Kunnas, this is a kind of a weaker position, but I still thought it was interesting to mention. They say that these three words are a reference to what? Reference to these stars that are fading away, reference to the previous scriptures. Why is that the case? Because these were lights. And if, you, if we were close to them, then obviously they'd be fully, you know, just like the sun. It would be super bright. But the fact of the matter is they are at such a distance, similar to the way that Musa and, and, and Dawud and uh, uh, Isa were, from a historical perspective, so far away, so that light was starting to become dim. So it was a reference to the Torah, the Zabur, the Psalms, and the Gospel. Wallah ta'ala a'lam bil-jawab, Allah ta'ala knows best what is correct. But I still thought it was very, very interesting as a, as a hypothesis to say that these reference to these off, uh, these far away uh, uh, flickering dim lights are reference to old scriptures that are becoming further and further away from us. They still provide some guidance, some light, but there's nothing in comparison to the sun, which is a star that is very, very close to us and gives us full light. Uh, yes, subhanAllah. Why? Because they were all heavenly lights that were preserved, that weren't preserved, and so uh, uh, they're becoming left in the distant past, and their light isn't benefiting as much as it used to. Some people are using them to navigate in the dark, but most people, unfortunately, are lost. And then the next ayah mentions what? When the night becomes the darkest. Ayah number 17. Now it's becoming its darkest, and we know that when it was pure jahiliyyah, when these people, they had no revelation, and they had no guidance whatsoever, and then the truth becomes even more distorted and these people become even more full of shirk and subhanAllah, this was the state of jahiliyyah that they, they were in. And then right after the, 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 the night is the darkest, right before that is, right after that is what? The dawn. And then of course Allah Ta'ala mentioned that the night is darkest before the dawn and then the revelation of the Qur'an was right on time. SubhanAllah. Very, very powerful lessons that we can learn from all of these uh, uh, oaths. And what do we learn from it? Number one, we learn selective skepticism. Selective skepticism. I mentioned this a little bit last week that subhanAllah, Muslims need to practice calling out when it's obvious when we see people being selective in their skepticism. Why is it that you don't judge uh, you know, your belief system, your religion, or even your political system, or even your social movements, whether it be questions about their sexuality or whatever the case is, why don't you put that same level of hyper-skepticism that you put towards Islam, towards your own beliefs, and you will find that, subhanAllah, if they're scrutinized to that extent, they will definitely not withstand uh, the test of time. And this is the idea that, you know, they are super critical of the Qur'an, and yet they're believing in all sorts of khurafat and shirkiyat, all sorts of, uh, you know, um, what's it called, like, fairy tales and nonsense. The second point is what? That human nature, unfortunately, prefers sweet lies to bitter truth. Unfortunately, human beings are, uh, many a times, we prefer sweet lies to bitter truth. What does that mean? That deep in our conscience, we know that we're going to die and face our maker. We all, have a, we all have a consciousness, and we all know that we'll be accountable for what we did. That's the whole beginning of the surah, from ayat 1 all the way to 14, when this happens, when this happens, when, when all this is falling apart, what are you going to be saying? Every soul will know exactly what he brought forth. Everybody, know, everybody knows that accounting is coming. SubhanAllah. So Allah Ta'ala is mentioning all this, and then... Yet when the messenger comes and reminds you of the truth that you already know, he's not teaching you the truth, he's reminding you of what you already know, what's already built into your consciousness, you reject him and incline towards beliefs that are mixed between comfort food and entertainment, which is what? 
astrology, taking you know, horoscopes and from gin and palm reading and all this type of stuff, all this nonsense, it's a mix between what? Entertainment and comfort food. And the third point that I think is very, very powerful that I want to mention about this is what? When we ask the question about clarity versus ambiguity, if I ask you, which one is preferred? Instinctually, intuitively, you're gonna say what? Clarity is obviously preferred to ambiguity. However, let's remember that with clarity, there's room, uh, with, with clarity, there's no room for your own feelings. As they say, facts don't care about your feelings, right? We all, I'm sure we've all heard this quote before, facts don't care about your feelings. That's the thing about clarity, is that when, when things are clear, there's no wiggle room. Whereas ambiguity is malleable. When things are ambiguous, you can insert your own ideas. It can be whatever you want it to be. It's, it gives you more control. Hence why these superstitions are more popular. Interpret them how you want. Apply them how you want and when you want with no responsibility because there's nothing solid. Why do you think so many people follow religions as, what's his name, uh, uh, Karl Marx famously, famously said, it was the opiate of the masses, right? Why, I believe it, if I'm not mistaken, that should be, uh, hopefully I'm right about that. But yes, the, he called religion the opiate of the masses. Why do you call it that? Opiate, you know, like a drug, right? Because it's, it's, you, you take it to feel good. And unfortunately, when you take a look at a lot of the beliefs people have, it's just comfort food. It's just entertainment. It's just something to put yourself into so that you can have fun with it. It's not actually a genuine search for truth. Okay. So let's get into the ayah itself. Innahu la qawlu. So a qawl is a speech that is uttered by the tongue, whether it be your own words or words that you're quoting. This is a very interesting fact. Why? Because that's different than kalam. Kalam is your own words. So in English, we just say, you know, I got a quote, or I got a speech, or I got a statement, or whatever the case is. We have different words for it, but we don't usually necessarily um, differentiate with one word between my own words or just words that I'm saying. Whereas a qawl can be your own words, or it can be words that you're saying. It could be both. Uh, it could be a quote from somebody else, or your own, from your own mind. Whereas kalam is uh, definitely from the source. And so the fact that Allah Ta'ala says, إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ uh, translated as, uh, uh, indeed, it is a word conveyed, uh, the implication here is that it's conveyed by a noble messenger. It's not his own words. It's not the words of the Rasul al-Karim, the noble messenger. It is the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who is the uh, noble messenger in this case? Wallahu ta'ala alam, but uh, the strongest opinion is that this is a reference to Jibreel alayhi salam. That they're saying this Prophet he's not getting it from himself, he's getting it from a noble messenger. And the fact that Jibreel alayhi salam is, is called Rasul here, teaches us what his task is. He's tasked with conveying the message. But not only that, he's described as Kareem. Kareem meaning noble and generous. Den denoting what? That he's going to do the job with integrity. He's going to do the job in the most beautiful way. And therefore, by extension, we are learning a lesson about ourselves, which is what? That when we give da'wah and when we call to Islam, we don't, just, we don't just convey the message. We do so in the most noble and most beautiful of ways. As the expression goes, I'm sure many of, uh, many of us have heard this proverb before, the medium is the message. Have you guys heard this before? The medium is the message. What does that mean? The way you convey something is... Uh, 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 in, in addition to the message itself, the medium is speaking volumes about what's being said. Like, for example, I don't know. Let's say I was saying something to you important. I was conveying to you a very important message. But I was singing and dancing while conveying it to you. What would you think about the message? It immediately loses its significance. You immediately, you don't think it's a very serious... Nobody's going to sing and dance and tell you that the building's on fire, right? Obviously, they're going to scream, right? The medium is the message. And so the way you're conveying it is, uh, uh, is very important. Uh, or that's why they say, you know, you should never text someone that we're breaking up, right? Because <laughs> it's a text message, subhanAllah. Or like, you know, divorce or something. You don't, you don't text information like that. Or give your condolences. That's another big one. Don't give your condolences that way. It's better to try to meet the pers person in 
in person. And obviously, it's also very interesting that subhanAllah in the previous surah, Surah Abasa, Allah Ta'ala said, What? This Quran is recorded in honored sheets. So, subhanAllah, it's very incredible, it's very beautiful that the previous surah is saying what? That this Quran is, is written down on honored sheets, and now this is being conveyed by an honorable Kareem messenger, subhanAllah. So, that this word of Kareem being generous and noble is being highlighted in both surahs. You see that strong parallel. Yes. Um, this surah also, it's interesting, this ayah, إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ is mentioned twice in the Qur'an. In this ayah, which is ayah number uh, 19 of uh, surah Takweer, but it's also mentioned in surah 69, which is surah Haqa, ayah number 40. But in that context, it's talking about the Prophet So it's interesting that they have been given both the same title, إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ that the Prophet Jibreel and the Prophet are both noble messengers, subhanAllah. Then Allah Ta'ala says, what? ذِي قُوَّةٍ عِنْدَ ذِي الْعَرْشِ الْمَكِينَ that Allah says, He is the possessor of power. Close to the throne, or, uh, 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 and with, or with the owner of the throne, uh, and then makin, secure, or in a secured position. So these are all descriptions of Jibreel alayhi salam. So number one, we're seeing that the strength of Jibreel, and we know this from the story of Lut alayhi salam, where the whole city was lifted by just one of his wings, that it was lifted and flipped on its head. So clearly this is a powerful, powerful messenger. The quwwatin. And then uh, uh, he has honored status. Why? Because of his closeness to Allah. He is close, he is close to Allah and therefore close to the source and therefore uh, in an honored status. arshi. And Allah Ta'ala is described as what? The owner of the throne. Describing that what? Nobody can actually be completely, uh, you know, with Allah Ta'ala in the ultimate sense of like proximity, but the owner of the throne, he can be as close as uh, possible to the owner of the throne, subhanAllah, which goes to show uh, how high he can get and how he has received this, subhanAllah, you could say, directly. And the, the strength and the security and the stability of Jibreel salam is contrasted with the weakness of the jinn who must sit and wait and catch a word of revelation and then they are chased away by meteors as is mentioned, as I said, in Surah Al-Jinn, Ayah number 9 and also Surah Safat, Ayat 6 to 10. So the, this is all being implied. And then the word makin, makin implies distinct, distingu, distinguished and prominent. This is very similar to the ayah in which Allah Ta'ala says, عَلَّمَهُ شَدِيدُ الْقُوَىٰ uh, That, that uh, the Prophet was taught by him who is intense in strength. So Jibreel is being described as powerful. The, uh, uh, challenging the Qur'an essentially is picking a fight with a very powerful enemy. This is a threat to the disbelievers. And we see this in, in multiple instances. For example, when Allah says, وَإِن تَظَاهَرَ عَلَيْهِ فَإِنَّ اللَّهُ وَمَوْلَاهُ وَجِبْرِيلُ وَصَالِحُ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمَلَائِكَةُ بَعْدَ ذَلِكَ That, but if you cooperate against him, against the Prophet then indeed Allah is his protector, and Jibreel, and the righteous believers, and the angels, moreover, are his assistants. So all of them are assisting the Prophet Do not take this uh, 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 this message as something you're hostile towards because then you are picking a fight or becoming an enemy of Jibreel alayhi salam. This is not something that is going to end well for you. And this is also very, very beautiful. And I'm going to talk about this more next week, inshallah ta'ala. Today I'm going to keep it a little bit brief. I'm not feeling the best. So inshallah ta'ala, I'm going to keep it brief. But I want to close with a few uh, quick points, inshallah. Maybe I'll go into more detail later. But one beautiful point is that if you pay attention to hadith studies and the way we take our ilm, the way we take our knowledge, about Qur'an and Sunnah, we see that things have to have an authentic tra- chain of transmission, right? This is something well known. One person cannot narrate from another unless the first was actually close to the second person. You can't say, oh, I'm narrating from this hadith from so-and-so. Have you met him? Do you know him? 
right? So all of our chains of narration, they're from people directly, from mouth to ear, it's direct. You can't say, oh, I, I heard through a secondary or third source that so-and-so said this. No, no, were you in his class? Were you there? And if not, then don't narrate from him. Narrate from the guy who you took it from, right? Be very, very clear what the chain of, uh, chain of transmission is. And so, otherwise, uh, then this person is narrating from somebody he never met. And Allah Ta'ala specifies that Jibreel alayhi salam was what? arsh. He was close to the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He was with the, at, at the throne of Allah Ta'ala and thus connected to the source. So it's really quite beautiful the way that we take our chain of transmission back to the Prophet but ultimately we have to ask, well, where does that come from? Well, the Prophet gets it from Jibreel. Where does Jibreel get it from? And Allah Ta'ala is saying the chain is perfectly connected because Jibreel was uh, near the source, you could say. And uh, and Allah has the highest of, the description, uh, highest of examples. Um, and the final point I'll mention, inshallah, is what? The way Allah Ta'ala describes himself with the word dhu. Dhu meaning the possessor of. You have certain names of Allah, like dhu uh, al-quwa, which relate to al-qawi, right? Dhu al-quwa means the one possessing power, al-qawi, the most powerful, right? Dhu rahma the possessor of mercy, al-rahman. So there are a bunch of examples, dhu al-maghfirah, the possessor of, of forgiveness, al-ghafar, al-ghafur, the all-forgiving. So there are some names of Allah that are describing dhu, and having a certain quality that is already described in one of the names of Allah. This is one example. Uh, but then you have another example of Dhu uh, uh, being associated with something that isn't touched, uh, connecting one of his names. Dhu al or Dhu al-Fadl, or Dhu al-Jalali wal ikram even though that one's a little bit debatable. But then there are some that are describing what Allah's actions, like Dhu al alim or Dhu al This is describing how Allah Ta'ala is the possessor of a painful punishment. This is not one of the names of Allah. But this is what he does. And then finally, sometimes connected to a description, and this is the exact, uh, you find instances of Dhul Arsh, the owner of the throne, and Dhul Ma'arij, the one who possesses all ways of ascent, which inshallah ta'ala we'll talk about in a future uh, um, surah, inshallah, surah Al-Ma'arij bi ta'ala. So with that, I'll close. Uh, and inshallah ta'ala, I hope we can open up for comments and thoughts and questions. And uh, I know it was a bit brief today, but like I said, I didn't prepare uh, as much as I uh, usually do. One of the reasons was wasn't feeling very good. So may Allah, may Allah ta'ala forgive us. Jazakum dara khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa